From deep in the heart of the swamp, this is Gator Tales, the official podcast of the Florida Gators. Gator Tales is brought to you by UF Health, the official healthcare provider of the Florida Gators. Welcome to Gator Tales. I'm your host, Adam Schick. While many of us went mad at various points in 2020, we didn't have March Madness to keep us in check. Thankfully, a full dose of crazy is coming our way, and the Gators are dancing for a fourth straight time, the longest active streak of any team in the SEC. On today's show, we'll welcome head coach Mike White to discuss the difficult road his team has charted this season and the path ahead in Indianapolis. Then, FloridaGators.com's senior writer Chris Harry joins us to delve into Florida's bracket and first-round matchup against Virginia Tech, honoring the women of the UAA during Women's History Month, Becky Burley's final home game as the head coach of Gators soccer, and March Madness memories in the PAT. But first, while the Gators were almost assured of an at-large bid going into Selection Sunday, you never know what's in store until the committee speaks. So when the bracket came out on Sunday and Florida's fate was revealed, we asked Mike White what happened next. Yeah, immediately, Adam, um, excited that we're in, excited for our guys. I remember being pretty close to Keontae, um, excited for him. I know he was pumped up. Pleasantly surprised, honestly, that we were a seven, uh, full transparency, I knew that, you know, year in and year out, we play a, a grueling schedule. We don't take any shortcuts in the non-conference. We had four guarantee games that would have padded our uh, record a little bit that were that were canceled, um, obviously, because of uh, one of the pauses that we took after uh, the, the trauma with, with Keontae in Tallahassee. Um, but very pleased and appreciative that the committee gave us a seven. Um, immediately, you look at your Opponent, and that's 99% of our thoughts probably since, Adam. Uh, Virginia Tech and um, what they do schematically, offensively, defensively, personnel, um, flow of the game, time and score, how they operate, just trying to immerse ourselves as much as possible and understanding them again and how they operate uh, as quickly as possible to give us the best chance possible on Friday. You know, usually when you're playing non-conference games during the season, uh, you've got a, a pretty good lead in terms of when that game's coming. You can have an assistant work on the scout weeks in advance. When you have the tournament and you've got teams that you're not familiar with that you don't normally play, how difficult is it to put together the kind of comprehensive plan you would want to with the, the time constraints? You know, it's a little bit difficult, but it's also difficult for them. Um, you know, coincidentally, as you as you draw opponents like this, Sometimes you would have seen them um, just by happenstance five, six, seven times on TV throughout the year, you know, Uh, and and for whatever reason with Virginia Tech this year, I've probably seen four or five ACC teams multiple times. I hadn't seen them play this year. And so um, another crazy factor is is Darius Nichols um, worked for Mike Young. And he worked for him at Wofford. He's very familiar with terminology and, you know, again, using the word operate, how, how he operates offensively and defensively, what he stresses, how they execute, what they look to try to do. Uh, but Darius is not with us, you know, a health and safety protocol and not feeling really well. 
Um, so it's myself and, and, uh, and Coach Mincy and Coach Pinkins just collectively doing the best that we can do. Um, but this, this is going to be a, a, a big test for us. Uh, a really good team. Been really impressed with them on film. Very different than any team we've played this year. Uh, execute offensively at a really, really high level. Very simplistic defensively, but very, very sound, disciplined, tough, and physical. I want to talk big picture here, sort of, you know, how you guys got to this point, because it's been noted that you're the only SEC team that's been in the last four tournaments. Um, as far as consistency, as far as, you know, being where you want to be, what does that say to you? And, and what does it mean to be able to say you're the only team in the SEC that, that's done that? You know, Adam, you know, first off, I'd, I'd like to say from a staff standpoint and our players would probably tell you the same thing. You know, we, we just felt like um, like many other teams that an opportunity was taken away from us last year because of the pandemic. And and uh, we should be sitting here talking about how it's it's five in a row. Uh, that said, what does that mean? Uh, it means let's get ready for Virginia Tech, you know. <laughs> um, yeah, you know, at the end of the day, it's it, it this this program here has has been to Final Fours and, and won national championships, and and we feel like we can do that. Um, that's the ultimate goal. Um, now, if that's the goal, you got to put yourself in position to play in this tournament. So mm-hmm. proud of the consistency, uh, despite the non-conference scheduling that um, that we have faced in our tenure here, which has been the strongest in the SEC. It is the best and strongest era in the history of the SEC. Uh, we're the third-ranked league in the country this year, which is the highest the SEC has ever been. Uh, and we have also faced all kinds of adversity with a number, a number of season-ending injuries, including, of course, uh, what happened to um, our, our preseason SEC Player of the Year, uh, Keontae Johnson, far and away, um, our best player and the best player I've coached. So um, proud of the resiliency uh, our staff has been terrific. Our support staff is top notch. Uh, we continue to attract high character guys that um, that bring it on a consistent basis and understand the expectation here at Florida is very high uh, in arguably the number one athletic department in the country. So proud to be here and uh, and proud to be back in the tournament. Hopefully um, we can advance again. You know, the last three opportunities we've had, we've, we've advanced. There's only 10 teams in the country that, that have advanced in the last three NCAA tournaments, and we're one of them. Uh, hopefully, we're saying that about a fourth. I want to talk about Keontae in just a second, but again, it's been sort of a a multi-layered season with challenges. So, just looking at, at the COVID part of this, uh, you you knew going into the season it was going to be different. Everyone knew that. I'm curious as you've worked through it, what have been the challenges that that maybe you didn't anticipate or you didn't expect would be as difficult as they've been when everyone sat down and said, Hey, here's how we're going to pull off a season under these circumstances. Oh man. Where do I start Adam? Um, (laughs) Probably the the simplest, most obvious example would be whether it's a team meeting, a staff meeting, just an impromptu, Hey, let's get together and exchange thoughts on this. And you got to jump through, four hoops and jump over five hurdles just to get guys together. Um, you know, does this guy have a mask on? Where is this guy right now? Is he in testing? Um, is, is he in, is he in quarantine? Um, it, you got a staff meeting, you know, guys, I, I just, I know we just met an hour ago. I want to talk to y'all five minutes on baseline out of bounds defense. Um, let's everyone run out, you know, in the, in the past it was a, let's just, everyone jump into my office real quick. Well, now are you six feet apart? Or am I right. six feet from you? 
oh, hey, you forgot your mask. You got to go back into your office, get your damn mask. <laughs> hey, guys, let's go next door to the women's club where we can really space out. Uh, did we rent it? Uh, is someone else using it? Is the heat on? It's just nuts. I mean, you just on a, on a daily basis, um, just the simple getting in front of the people that um, that you're working with. Again, whether it be players or coaches, a guy wants to come in and watch film with you. Um, you got to make sure you're six feet. You, you know, you, you, you got to make sure you both have masks on. And there's a million examples past that one, but that's the most obvious. Hmm. So that was one thing. You knew that was going to happen. You did not know what was going to happen with Keontae. And I know you've talked a lot about it throughout the year. I'm curious now, as we're sort of at the end of this season, if you could talk about the impact he had once he returned, what did it mean to have him with the guys? You said a second ago uh, he was as excited as anybody when that seed came up. What has he meant to his teammates when he was able to be back in their presence? Um, what, what what does he mean? He, he He's meant... I hate using the term everything because what does that mean? You know, he's meant everything to these guys. I, I don't know what that means when people say that. And, and I know I say it as well. Uh, it, I'll say this. If Adam, if, if he doesn't walk into the gym and, and, and what, you know, with a smile and, and, um, and he, if he's not himself to where he's able to help guys, he's showing his personality. If Keontae doesn't walk in the gym as Keontae, um, I'm not sure this team would have played again. I'm just, I'm not, um, he has been our our most valuable player, uh, hands down, this season, and he hasn't played in months. Um, mm-hmm. He's emotionally, um, he has been the, the the spirit of this team. Um, he's grown as a human being, as a leader, um, and he has given himself um, in so many ways that people don't understand and that haven't been communicated. But um, He's been involved with scattering reports, with officiating in practice, um, again, with leading, with communicating. He sees the game in a different light now, and he's been instrumental in um, in, in trying to, to, to help hold guys accountable, um, maybe at a higher level than, than what he did as a player because he understands the importance, um, and he knows he's not out there uh, between the lines playing, um, you know, with an ability to be a captain, to be a, a much-needed leader, um, on this team that's uh, that's missing him. He was obviously someone we expected to see on the All-SEC team when the year started. Uh, that didn't happen because of the circumstances, but you did end up with two guys on that All-SEC team. I want to talk about them. First, for, for Trey Mann, when you come in as a McDonald's All-American, there's probably an expectation that you end up on that list at some point. But can you talk about his growth from year one to year two and how he became the player that, that everyone is seeing today? You know, Trey, honestly, has just earned more opportunity. And we had a little bit of a shakeup in our roster, uh, which is very, very prevalent in college basketball these days. Um, Very expected every spring. We'll have another shakeup this spring. Um, He decided to stay the course uh, despite a crazy amount of exterior noise that uh, he was experiencing that that a lot of guys uh, of his stature experience um, on an annual basis in college basketball. Again, an expected amount. Uh, early on, I'm not sure how well he handled all of the exterior expectation, um, the lack of success, the lack of productivity, uh, a fluctuating level of confidence. Um, late last winter, uh, again, we started seeing a difference in practice. Um, you used the word consistency earlier, Adam. That's what we started seeing in him, and we just mm-hmm. thought he was going to break out. 
The last game of the season at home against Kentucky, he showed some signs. We thought he was going to have a really strong postseason. I really did. And I'm not just saying that. It's easy to say that when you don't play a postseason. Right. Um, just like it's easy to talk about how Keontae is the best player in the league and, and he'd give a chance to show it. But I mean that from the bottom of my heart, both of those statements. Um, I thought he was going to break out in the spring, uh, in, in the postseason. Didn't have the opportunity. Had as strong of an offseason as, uh, as I've witnessed as a head coach. Always in the gym, heading to the gym, heading to the weight room, getting back in the weight room again in the evening. Gained a ton of muscle. Um, and he's doing what we all knew he was capable of doing. Um, loyal as the day is long, uh, consistent, um, tougher than people realize. Uh, confidence level has increased. Maturity more than anything. Just um, has gotten to where he's a little bit of an older soul. You know, if he makes a mistake, hey, that's on me. Hey, my bad coach, I screwed that up. You know, he's just – his level of accountability has increased immensely. And uh, he's a heck of a player. As far as your other All-ICC player in Colin Castleton, it's interesting because there's always a lot of fanfare around the transfer portal when it's guys who put up big numbers somewhere. Colin mm -hmm. didn't have that at, at Michigan, so I don't, I don't know that fans were, were thinking he was going to make a huge splash. What did you and your staff see in him that led you to believe he was going to be an impact player, even if it wasn't at, at the level it's ultimately been? Sure, sure. You, you know, I, I'm, I'd be lying if I told you I knew he's going to be all league this year, but I, I did think wholeheartedly, and, and you hit on a bunch of recruits and you miss on some recruits, on some evaluations. Um, with him, we were convicted his junior year in high school that he could be a really good player here and what we were trying to do. And, uh, and we missed on him, of course. Uh, got down to us and a couple other schools, and he chose uh, John Beeline at Michigan, and uh, I don't think anyone could fault him for that. I think he fit their system as well. Uh, what a lot of people don't understand is that he was playing against some high, high-level college basketball bigs, uh, and he was just kind of caught in a log jam there. Um, and he, he actually uh, put himself out there to come here to compete with Jason Jatobo and Omar Payne and these guys. Uh, he's got a high level of self-confidence himself, and uh, he's earned every minute, you know, and, and every opportunity that uh, that he's been given. And, um, you know, we're, we're just starting to see – uh, what we thought he could end up being, uh, albeit a little bit uh, a little bit earlier uh, than expected. Final question for you. Um, it's never a bad thing to have NCAA tournament experience, but how much different do you imagine this tournament will feel for everyone? And will that experience maybe not be as big of a factor as it normally would? Well, you know, we uh, without having the experience last year, without having Keontae on the floor, it's it's that that makes it unique for us as well. You you would think again with four in a row, we we'd have a, a ton of guys in the roster that had, that have lived this, but but we don't. And I think it'll be different, really, for all these teams. Just um, uh, the the experience, of course, will be unique in in this uh, in this climate with the pandemic. But that said, I, I do think it's it's will be it will be more exciting than every regular season game, and even. Uh, more so than the SEC tournament. It is the NCAA tournament. It's the big dance. It's the greatest sporting event on the planet. If our guys aren't jacked up, there's something wrong with us. How big will it be to have fans, to have that environment that you guys have, have, haven't really had all season to the, the degree that you'd want? I think it'll be pretty cool. You know, it'll be um, you know, more uh, advantageous for, for certain programs over other programs, obviously. Um, we'll see how all that plays out, but I, I think it'll, it'll add to the level of excitement for sure. Well, Coach White, thank you so much for your time, and we wish you the best of luck here in March. Thank you, Adam.
When the Gators hit the court in Indianapolis on Friday afternoon, they'll be the first game to tip off the opening round of this most unique tournament. And lest anyone dream of life in the bubble, as Chris Harry reports from the outside looking in, it isn't as much fun as you might think. I mean, they're allowed. They're not allowed to leave the hotel. They have X amount of places that they are allowed to go, and it's a very small, uh, few, a small number of X's. Um, they're allowed to go to and from where their practice sites and uh, maybe where their their food is being delivered to them. I mean, this is this is like a, you know, you heard about the NBA bubble in in uh, Lake Buena Vista, but I mean, they had a campus that they could roam. You know, um, after their first uh, initial quarantine time or what have you but uh they could walk around they could they could see people because they were all in there it's that's not the case because the NCAA is not doing that there you know talking about all these different venues where they're where they're going to play and these hotels where they're staying in and that that's those are the only places they're allowed to be um now having said that to the to the bigger picture where are they I I assume you meant mentally and emotionally I mean their last their last outing one very good uh, against Tennessee um Trey Mann was terrific in the second half, the game was on its way to being decided by then. Um, Tennessee went on that late roll in the first half. Florida never recovered from it. Trey Mann had 28 points in the second half. Just He was terrific, but the Gators really didn't get anything from anybody else. Um, you know, so uh, that's, that's not a recipe for success against a, a team as defensively sound as Tennessee. And, of course, Tennessee, because of that defense, fourth in the nation, according to Ken Palm, in defensive efficiency – had a lot to do with uh, taking what Florida, the things that Florida does away, with the exception of Trey Man. Let go, let, let go, let Trey Man get thirty, which he did, and they still win going away. But uh, now, having said all that, of course, it's a it's it's a clean slate. Um, I think people listening to this podcast right now, Adam, a lot of people were probably surprised when they saw Florida show up on a seven line. Mm-hmm. Um, that's good. You know, uh, you don't want to be an eight nine, and and you know, you play in a a, a team you're supposedly even with, and then you turn around, you got to play the number one seed next time. That's not to say uh, it's a gift by any stretch of the imagination. You know, Florida played a tough schedule. I made the point earlier this week. I mean, people are looking at their record, 14 and nine. That's not a very good record. Well, remember they voluntarily scratched four games in December, Mm -hmm. four games against teams that they were going to be double digit favorites over and probably would have won all those games. When you think about the fact that Mike White, with the exception of one game has never lost a quote unquote buy game. That one game that he lost was Loyola Chicago and they went to the final four that year. Right. So um, you could have said that this team could have been 18 and nine and that record could have looked a lot better um, than say this 14 and nine record right now. I haven't said that. Okay. You're a seven seed. Um, You won some games uh, that you probably, that that people probably didn't think you should have. Certainly uh, West Virginia and Tennessee at home. You lost a game or two that you people probably thought you should have won South Carolina and Missouri at home. So here comes Virginia Tech, someone you have not played since 1991. Got to go back to the Red Lobster Classic that year. (laughs) Where were you in 1991? Were you anywhere near uh, the Orlando Arena? Not that I recall, but I was three. So my recollections from then aren't great. (laughs) That's right. That's right. Uh, some of us covered a Red Lobster Classic before or a Milk Challenge there in the Orlando Arena back <laughs> in those days. But that would have been Long Kruger's second team. That's the last time Florida played Virginia Tech. Uh, mm-hmm. Not comparing the two by any stretch of the imagination, but Virginia Tech, um, 
is 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 a team that beat the hell out of Virginia this year. That's their 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 best win going away. They also beat Villanova early in the season. I think that was a game up in the uh, up in the bubble in Mohegan Sun. Um, they're coached by Mike Young, who was at Wofford a couple years ago when Wofford made a little NCAA tournament win with that little three point shooter. Remember that guy making all those threes mm-hmm. in Jacksonville, what have you? Now Wofford. Uh, one of Florida's assistants, Darius Nichols, was an assistant coach at Wofford for Mike Young. So he'll have some element of familiarity with what they run. They run really good actions, man. They get guys open and they shoot a lot of threes. They got a six foot nine guy named named Kev Aluma. He's a transfer from from Wofford. Um, he's an inside outside guy. Sixteen points a game, eight rebounds a game. He's blocked twenty eight shots. He's a guy who's going to get to the free throw line a bunch. Uh, Tyrese Radford, Nathan Allen are double-figure scorers also. They got three-point shooters coming off the bench, one by the name of Hunter Couture and the other by Justin Mutz, who had 24 points in their last game. That was a, a loss in the uh, semifinals of the ACC tournament to North Carolina. This is, a, this, is, this is a good team, and Florida will have its hands full. I mean, it's, a, it's probably a pick game, even though it's a 7-10 game. There's not that much difference between 7-10 game and an 8-9, Adam, obviously, but uh, – what we what Florida does have, you know, they won a game every year that Mike White's been the coach in the NCAA tournament. Mm-hmm. Um, not a lot of teams can say that. That's an accomplishment. Getting to the NCAA tournament is hard. Getting to the NCAA tournament, I believe, for this program especially, is is an accomplishment. And I think that should that should always be the bar. I know people like that. They oh, you got to win championships and you're supposed to go to the Final Four, of Florida. It doesn't happen all the time like that. You know, quick, mm-hmm. uh, people shouldn't compare. Um, what some the greatest teams in Florida history with one of the greatest coach in college basketball history was doing. This is a solid program that goes to the NCAA tournament every year. Now, can they advance this year? I don't know. I don't know where emotionally, where are they? Uh, physically, where are they? Like I said, they're in Indiana. They're a little whacked out. I think they've lost uh, uh, three of the last four games. You know, maybe they this time together, and I, I, I say they weren't allowed to do a whole lot, um, they had one night, I think, where they were allowed to go into a convention center uh, and there were some video games in there and some cornhole and some kind of stuff that they could mess around with. That was kind of how they uh, shook the cobwebs off on a, you know, because they're not allowed to leave the hotel. They can't go to the zoo. They can't go to a movie. They can't uh, bowling or whatever. That's probably how what you would do in a normal year if you were at some place for such a long period of time. But um, it could be a very short uh, stay considering they're playing the first game of the whole tournament. Yeah. 12 uh, 15, throw it up. But they're playing in the NCAA tournament. And uh, at this point of the season, that, that is all that matters. Billy Donovan used to say, you can't win it unless you're in it. Very true. Very true. That's right. That's right. And, and, you know, when you get there, too, I, I feel like just from years past, it is so unpredictable. Oftentimes, we'll see a team make a, a really strong run and win their conference tournament out of nowhere, and then you'll be like, "Oh yeah, let me let me pencil them in the bracket." Right? That's they're on they're on fire. Then they'll lose their first round game. First game. That's right. It happens all the time. You never know who's going to really show up and who's going to get hot when they need to. And and I guess when you look at this from the Florida perspective, as you noted, lost three of the last four games. Um, I, I wouldn't say that right now they're playing their best basketball, but yet. You mentioned the reason they're in that seven spot is because they beat West Virginia on the road. They crushed Tennessee when they were, you know, a top 10 team. We know that this team is capable when they put everything together of beating really good teams. So 
there is that carrot out there. It's it's just a matter of not knowing if they're going to be able to do that and, and recreate what they were doing, I guess, a month ago. Yeah, and, and one of the keys to that, I think, Adam, is is got to get more from Colin Castleton. If you mm. remember when Florida was playing well and uh, uh, on that four-game winning streak at the end of January um, and won a couple games in, uh, in February, Colin Castleton was playing very, very well. Uh, he was an option in, in, inside. Obviously, he was getting rebounds. He was blocking shots. It's like there's one game he blocked eight shots. Um, and I won't call him a force, but he was a, a significant presence inside, which helped open up some things on the outside as far as shooting. Um, shoot, three-point shooting for Noah Locke, uh, three-point shooting for Trey Mann, three-point shooting for Tyree Appleby, who's actually shot the ball pretty well of late. But uh, uh, need more out of him. Need more consistency from from Anthony Derucci. He was a DMP in the second half of that game against Tennessee the other day. Mm. That, su- that surprised me a lot, and I don't know if that was something where he wasn't doing something right or it was a message. But uh, uh, that's a guy who had um, 11 rebounds, I think, against Missouri, and in the regular against the regular season finale uh, against Tennessee, had two rebounds. So, and again, Tennessee does that to you because they're awfully, awfully relentless with these pawns and what have you on on the glass, but. Each of these guys are have have significant roles, and and you know when they don't when they don't play to their roles, there's not a whole lot of margin for error. That leaves things up to Trey Mann. And, I, and let's give a nice shout out to Trey Mann. By the way, he honorable mention All American. Good for him. This guy mm. scored five points a game last year, and wasn't a very confident player last year. I don't think uh, anyone will confuse him for a player who's not very confident right now. Um, he's smooth out there. He's making things happen, but. Being, you know, coming out, I think it was one for eight in the first half in the game the other day, and that kind of put the Gators in a hole. He needs to maybe start start a little bit faster, but you can't can't put too much <laughs> too much blame on him for going and getting twenty eight in the second half and and even keeping your team in the game. So Florida does have Virginia Tech in the first round, as you noted uh, under Mike White. Every time they've gone to the tournament, they've won that first game. If they are to win that first game against Virginia Tech, then very likely they would be seeing Ohio State, the two seed, in the second round. Uh, so getting to the Sweet 16 uh, is very challenging when you look at that path. Ohio State, you know, one of the best teams in the country all season long. I mean, the Big Ten is the best uh, basketball league in the country this year, and I think what was it, two weeks ago that Ohio State was being talked about as a one seed. Uh, the last uh, game played of the college basketball postseason tournament um, was the Big Ten championship game, which went into overtime because Ohio State took it overtime against Illinois, who is a one seed. So obviously they're very, very formidable. It would be a similar situation as a couple of years ago. Florida was a 10 seed and beat the seven seed, Nevada, and mm-hmm. then playing a two seed, Michigan, um, with Colin Castleton coming off the bench on that team, by the way. Mm-hmm. Uh uh, you know, Ohio, Ohio State's an outstanding team. So um, I think if you I, – I haven't heard your interview with Mike White on, the, on this podcast, but I think if you even broached the subject of Ohio State, he would have said, all I'm thinking about right now is Virginia Tech. Is, yeah. Am I right? Am I right? Yeah. Well, I, I've, learned, I've learned over the years that that's what a coach will say in every possible situation. So right. it, is, uh, it is pointless to ask the question. That's right. That's right. So uh, as a person who who works with the university and works with this basketball team, I guess I got to uh, delve into coach speak every now and then, too. We're, <laughs> we're not even thinking about Ohio State, Adam. We're, uh, we're, we're totally focused on Virginia Tech. We're going to talk more about some of our, our favorite NCAA tournament memories here in just a few minutes. But I want to take a little pause from that, Chris, and talk about something really cool that, that you wrote for FloridaGators.com, and that is for Women's History Month, which is celebrated throughout March, uh, the women of the UAA celebrating them. 
And it's a lot of people behind the scenes that people don't know. It's not coaches. It's not people on camera. Um, but what I, what I thought was interesting about it when I was reading it is specifically the longevity. I mean, a lot of these women of the UAA have been there for 20, 30, in some cases, almost 40 years. So it's, it's not like these are women who very recently come into leadership roles. They've been there in some cases from, you know, before I was born. The story profiles uh, 10 women, all of them administrators with at least 10 years at the athletic association. And, and obviously I could have easily written about more women. Some of these administrative assistants have been there a very long time. You, you know, you want to talk about Lonnie McQuaid or Tracy mm-hmm. Paff or Nancy Scarborough. Um, these people have been there. Brittany Soliard, they are loyal, loyal people who have been there a long time and are invaluable to their jobs and what they do on a day-to-day basis. But this is a, a thing that, yeah, we decided to do for, for uh, Women's History Month, a look at the at the high-profile administrators, and there's there, women in charge, women with a lot of uh, juice, if you were, whether, whether it be in operations, in boosters, in compliance, in communication, you know, all across the board in all the most uh, important facets, licensing, all the mm-hmm. most, most important facets of, of what goes on behind the scenes. You don't see these people on a day-to-day basis. You don't see them on TV. You don't see them on the sidelines, but their contributions to making uh, the University of Florida and the athletic department successful um, are paramount to the success that that the program has. I did a second, you know, the the one story that you're referencing, Adam, is just, it shows kind of profiles 10 women. I did a second, second story where I actually did a longer piece on somebody and one of these women and anybody who's dealt with the University Athletic Association, specifically, excuse me, reporters that have uh, been through the communication department over the last three and a half decades have dealt with Mary Howard. And this is a very, very dedicated person, somebody who has a a wealth of institutional knowledge and who has been leaned on by athletic directors, assistant athletic directors, associate athletic directors, coaches in coaching searches, uh, um, crisis management, Whatever you want to talk about, she is on the front lines of it. She's one of the people that I work with on a day-to-day basis. She's helped me immensely in in my short time there. And again, she's been there 35 years. Got there in 1986. Left her uh, from right from Iowa State. <laughs> graduated from Iowa State, then uh, came to Florida as quote unquote the assistant women's SID. And one of her first meetings was with the head, the women's SID, and she said, "By the way, I've given my two weeks notice. You're in charge now." <laughs> and she's been and she's been there ever since and i and you obviously know uh what mary howard's worth is to the to the program and you know i kind of uh it was kind of interesting doing a doing a story on on someone i work with you know one of the sports that mary howard oversees is soccer and uh you know we talked uh, i guess at this point it was almost like two months ago uh when becky burley announced her her retirement and just this past week she had her final home game um and you know, it, it's weird that it would happen in these circumstances. They don't normally play games in the spring, at least not that are part of their competitive season. Uh, they're not having a great season, and it, it doesn't look like there's going to be any postseason for them. But it was just so bizarre, Chris, seeing that last home game for Becky and, and thinking about not just all the games that, that I got to be there for when she was there, but in the history of the program. And and there was just a, you know, you're happy you're happy for Becky that, that she's getting to, to move on and, and do other things with her life because she has so many interests. But there was also this this sorrow and this sadness surrounding it as well, at least for me, watching some sure. of the, the video from that. Yeah, and each of these um, 
women, I asked them their most cherished gayer moment. And, and most of them, of course, reference championships of some kind. And but Mary Howard's, who's been the soccer SID for uh, the whole time, as many, you know, she's seen these championships, obviously, but to her, the that first soccer game in 1995 mm-hmm. was played, uh, for, I think, three, four, three or four hours before the, the op- season opening football game against Houston when Florida was a top five ranked team. And they kind of married those two together. And students came and stood in line for, for, for the you know, first game T-shirts. There were 4,000 people. They shut – it was sold out. You couldn't get in. And no one else – 4,000 people were there for a Florida – for a match against Florida State. The Gators won four to nothing. And that was her highlight. She, that was just something amazing because it, because it was the start of something. And, of course, four years later, Becky won a national championship, uh, beat upset North Carolina, huge upset, of course. But – um, to your point, she's coaching her last game. She coached her first game. That was what September what fifth, nineteen ninety five. And now here is twenty twenty one, and she's gonna she's walking away from me. What it's got to be what five six hundred games. Um, yeah, and she's the only one that's ever been there. So that'll be something new. That obviously a future podcast will be talking about the new soccer coach. You'll have the new soccer coach on whoever that might be. But what a resume and what a what a legacy. Uh, Becky Burley has left with this soccer program and some of the players uh, uh, who's who in, in women's soccer uh, came through here. So um, congratulations to her. I know that was emotional for her. She was emotional talking about it several days last, last week before she even had to go on the field play, but she does have a few more games to play. There'll be road games, but uh, maybe she can go out with some more memories. I want to move on to our PAT now and, and let's bring it back around to March Madness. Um, you know, there, there's obviously a lot of easy answers for, you know, the best Gator moment of March Madness. But I'd like to even lean on your experience before you were embedded with the team uh, and tournaments that you've covered. What, what are some of your favorite March Madness moments that you uh, you had a chance to witness? I have a couple to come to mind. Um, I'll go. I mean, the, the Gator ones uh, initially, the 2000 run. Okay, by Billy Donovan's fourth team to the national championship game where they lost to Michigan State, of course. But to get there, they you know they 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 had to win five games, and the first game was the Butler game, and Mike Miller made that shot, and I was literally sitting right dead even with the free throw line when he drove the free throw line and made that shot, and I was sitting right across from the Florida bench, and they had basically lost that game, and then an eighty-eight percent free throw shooter who who is now Butler's head coach, by the way, Laval Jordan. Wow. Um, he misses two free throws. They bring the ball to court. Teddy Dupay kicks it. No one would have blamed Teddy Dupay had he shot the ball. Good shooter. But he kicked the ball to Mike Miller and said, Mike, do your thing. And 6'9", skinny, gets in the lane and makes him that just kind of rims around and, and drops in. But what I remember most and what I spent my afternoon doing, because that was one of those first early games, right, I immersed myself in watching these guys, uh, the celebration, um, because to see them pour onto the court, that, that was that was natural. But then in the open locker room situation, these guys were still crying in the locker room when I went inside. Udonis Haslam, Teddy Dupay. I mean, because just the finality of the NSA tournament makes it what it is. Because you go from your season's over to your advancing. And think mm-hmm. about that. If Mike Miller doesn't make that shot, what is Billy Donovan's legacy at Florida? Yeah. Because obviously – you know, it's not going to be exactly – things aren't going to happen exactly the same. Maybe they learn from that the next season. But the next five years, they didn't get out of the first weekend, Adam. Mm-hmm. So what if it had been six years not getting out of the first weekend? 
right? People have been saying, how can we never win this first game? But that game fueled the win over Illinois, fueled the upset of Duke, who a year earlier, Florida got into Durham and got destroyed by 30 points by, by, by Duke. Wow. And, then they, and then this first time they ever beat a number one ranked team, they beat the number one seed Duke up in Syracuse. Then they beat Oklahoma State to get to the Final Four and beat Oklahoma, or, and then beat North Carolina in the Final Four. So you beat Duke and North Carolina in a matter of, of, of six days. Um, Florida, University of Florida. Did. Right. Pretty, pretty amazing. Um, to go off base a little bit, I actually, in 2008, when the NCAA tournament was in Tampa, they had four games there, and I think the highest seed was a four, I think. They had, but they had a bunch of games. It was staggered. It was that first round where a bunch of different regions are represented yeah, there. Yeah. Every game, the, the low seed upset the high seed, and none of it was more spectacular than when this kid from Western Kentucky hit about a 40-foot shot from this far sideline uh, to upset Drake in a 12, your classic 12-5 upset. Mm-hmm. Um, and, I, I, again, every game went down to the, to the final one or two possessions. Um, every game was an upset, and it was just one of those days where – you weren't just, you know, if you didn't have a stake in it, like I didn't at the time, I was just covering the tournament for the Orlando Sentinel. Uh, uh, it was it was pretty exhilarating. If you had a stake in it, if you were betting on the games, for example, or if you were a fan of one, it was probably a freaking exhausting day mm-hmm. to, to, to have been a part of that. But uh, I wasn't covering the team in 06 and 07. Um, so I, I wasn't involved in that, but I certainly did enjoy – I remember I wrote a story, a column for the Orlando Sentinel after the Gators won the first national championship beating UCLA, where having been at the beginning, having seen everything at the be- I was there when Billy Donovan was hired. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I was, I was the first one in his office. I, I broke the story that he was coming. And I remember him telling a story about how they were out at dinner after he took the job and Billy Don was notorious as as a youngster for eating. <laughs> He'd eat all the time. Huh. And uh, they had just had a nice dinner. They were out with Fo- the, uh, the, the Foley's, and the coaching staff was there, the Pelfrey's and Anthony Grant's and the Donovan's. And they started making fun of Billy and his ability to eat. And he, and he, he goes, I could go to Wendy's right now and, and, and eat a double and fries. And like Jeremy's like, why in the – hell would you, you couldn't do that. he goes you couldn't do that he goes oh yeah I could yeah I could let's go right now he goes why would you want to do it he goes it's like you hearing jeremy that you can't win it big in basketball at the university of florida someone's telling me i can't eat big i'm gonna go do it just like we're gonna win big at basketball here and jeremy's like let's go to wendy's <laughs> we're going to frosty's all around that's right frosty's that's right. all around that's wow. right that's from funny. that to a national championship and uh um Obviously, that's like a behind-the-scenes kind of story, but um, that's just something that I I remembered when I uh, was sitting in Tampa covering the NFL, watching Florida win a basketball national championship. I said, I want to revisit that moment, and I I went and wrote that story. Those are the kind of gems you can only get from guys like you who have been in the business Mm -hmm. a very long time covering a ton of these things. (laughs) Um, And you'll be covering this week just from outside of the bubble as opposed to inside. Uh, but make sure to keep up with what Chris is doing, following the Gators at Gators Chris on Twitter and, of course, on FloridaGators.com. Uh, Chris, thank you so much. We'll talk to you next week. Hopefully, it'll be about the Sweet 16. Thank you, Adam. And that's going to do it for this week's show. If you haven't already done so, be sure to subscribe to Gator Tales in the podcast app of your choice, and please leave a review to help us continue to grow.
Stay up to date on everything going on with the orange and blue at FloridaGators.com, and we'll be back next Thursday with an all-new episode. Until then, I'm Adam Schick. Please stay safe and go Gators.